For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Jerusalem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have uh, spoken to us in many ways, um, but most significantly by your Son and the writings about him. We ask that you reveal him to us this morning um, so that we may fall and worship him. In the name of Jesus, amen. We in the English-speaking world have been enormously blessed with a variety of uh, translations of Scripture, and really they, um, they cover so many things, um, and it's, it's a blessing that we don't need to be Greek experts uh, to read Scripture. But sometimes uh, there are some words that are helpful to know, and one of those is the word telos, T-E-L-O-S, if you're taking notes. Telos is the, uh, the idea of the purpose or the, the final uh, form of something. It's the, the reason that that thing exists. Okay? Scripture uh, talks about this in, in a few ways. It's translated in different ways that all try to get at this concept. Um, scripture talks about Scripture being fulfilled. That, that's the word telos. Christ is the end of the law. Paul writes. That's the word telos too. Christ is the telos of the law. Though you do not see him, Peter writes, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the word telos as well. The fulfillment, the end, the outcome. These are all trying to get at this concept of Telos. Telos is the reason that something was created. And it can, be a, it can be a tricky concept, especially as we get into people. Aristotle talked a lot about telos. Um, he talked about the telos of an acorn, right? The telos of an acorn is to grow into a mighty oak tree. A good acorn is one that accomplishes that. I think our text this morning points us to the telos of creation. Um, we live in a disenchanted age, right? That's a secular age, an age where nothing has a telos. We look at the sun and it just, it is. It doesn't have a purpose. Stars, right? We look at them, we know what they are, but we, we don't talk about what they're there for. And that's, that's something that Scripture doesn't agree with us on. 
Um, in Scripture, things have a telos. Things have a reason for existence. Um, and, and Scripture tells us what that is. Uh, it's, it points us to God. Psalm 19 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Scripture tells us that nature was created with a purpose, and that purpose is to tell us about God, to tell us about God's glory. John Calvin latched onto this. He said, men cannot open their eyes without being compelled to see God. And, and that's an incredible statement, right? Creation has a purpose, and that purpose is to tell us about God. And specifically, the, the lights have a purpose, right? In Genesis 1, God says, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for appointed times. And for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. When God created the sun, moon, and the stars, he specifically said, let them be for signs. This morning, in our text, we read this, uh, this text about a star being a sign. And I think often we skip over it as one of those miraculous things that doesn't necessarily fit into our everyday experience. Um, I don't think many of us have looked at the stars and said, oh, that's a sign to me, right? But Scripture tells us that that is what stars are for. That is the telos of stars, is to give us signs. And here, this, the stars give us their ultimate purpose, is showing us Christ, revealing to us the king of creation. That's not the only thing that, uh, that they do, right? The sun also, uh, in, when Christ is crucified, refuses to shine. Another, another sign, um, from noon there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. As Christ is on the cross, the sun refuses to shine. This is the telos, the telos of creation. The telos of the stars is to tell us about Christ. That's, that's something that we need to live into a little bit. It's a challenge, but um, Peter Lightheart, I think, does it really well. One of the things that he talks about is this uh, thing in Genesis 1, let them be for signs and for appointed times. The, the purpose of the stars is also for appointed times. And appointed times in Scripture is actually used specifically for Israel's sacred festivals. Israel knows when to do Passover by looking at the sun, moon, and stars. That's something that still holds true today, actually. Um, the sun, Lightheart tells us, um, 
we could think of it as the sun's job is to tell us when to worship God. In fact, we might say that the sun's tell us is to tell us what day we should go to church, right? What day we should gather together on the Lord's day. And we, we need to cultivate this kind of mindset. How do we see creation as um, indicative of God's glory, as telling us about God? It's, it's really a challenge. And, and scripture talks about, and the theologians talk about how we put, we put created things in the place of God. We look at created things. We look at nature. We look at um, things that God has created, and we don't look at them and say, oh, that tells us about their creator. That tells us about God. We just look at them, and that's all we see. We hear this in our culture a lot. I'm going to commune with nature. Right? I'm going to go connect with nature. I want to get into nature. And, I mean, that's a great thing. But it's a problem when it stops there. It's a problem when we go into nature, we connect with nature, and that's it. And we don't go any further. We don't look at the creator of nature. This is something that's talked about in, in the Belgic Confession. Uh, it's in page two of your worship folders. Article two of the Belgic Confession, uh, the Belgic Confession is one of the standards of our church, uh, tells us we know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. Creation is telling us about God. And it's not just nature. This is something that, that we often get a little sidetracked on. Nature is part of creation. Nature is God's creation. But it's the whole government of the universe. Um, actually, philosophy also points us towards God, right? Plato and Aristotle, they didn't, under, they didn't know God, but they had incredible things to say about God and who God is. Throughout the, throughout the church's history, there's been a field of philosophical theology. What can we know about God from the creation and government of the universe, the way the, govern, or the, way, the, way the universe works? Um, Alvin Plantinga recently has actually made an argument that the only reason that we can have uh, confidence in our own intellects is if we believe that there is a creator. So all of creation tells us things about God. Why don't we see it? Well, the problem is us, right? We have a telos too. Humans. Um, the Westminster Catechism uh, tells us this. In question and answer one, what is the chief end of man, right? The chief end is, is really just another word for telos there. What is the telos of human beings? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our purpose, and, and that's not a purpose that we live into very well. Augustine uh, wrote like this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Augustine is telling us our telos is to be united with God, and we, we long for that 
often at a subconscious level. And the problem is, we, yeah, we are corrupted. This week I was putting a trailer hitch on my van and on the, on the bottom of my van, inside the frame, uh, the manufacturer welded nuts into the frame so that when somebody came along and put a trailer hitch on, they'd be able to screw a bolt into these nuts. Unfortunately, my van is 17 years old and there's a lot of junk in the bottom of that van. I had to use chemicals, I had to use special tools to try to clean out all the gunk and corrosion that is in these, these weld nuts, they're called. The telos of these weld nuts is to take a bolt. They're supposed to hold on the trailer hitch, but they aren't functioning in that way very well because they've been so corroded and corrupted. The, the problem is that we have become uh, focused on things other than God. Right? We have, uh, in the words of the uh, 90s Christian pop music movement, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And we, we fill that God-shaped hole with all the things um, of this world. C.S. Lewis talks about this. He talks about how we want God. We are created for God. We desire God. And instead, we... We latch on to all of these other things. Uh, in, the, in The Weight of Glory, he writes, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We take these, these, th- these good things, blessings from God, money or sex or power, and what we do is we put those in the place of God. We try to fill up that yearning for God with those things. And throughout Scripture, we see this is, is not effective. It doesn't work. Isaiah says to Israel, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God offers himself to us. He offers us good food and we are consuming things that do not satisfy. Jesus captures this in John 6. He, he continues on this theme. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus offers himself to us. He is our telos. And we instead consume so many other things. So, one one of the things that we see as the Magi come is Gentiles, right? Um, Epiphany is 
is, a, is really God's revelation to the Gentiles. The Magi are probably from Persia or somewhere out there. Um, they're not Jews. And yet they have the same urge. They have to find God, right? They are looking for the king of the Jews. Most of us are Gentiles, right? We, we are in that same position. See, Israel um, had gotten to this way of thinking that there are two types of people, right? There are Jews and Gentiles. Jews seek after God and Gentiles don't. But what we see in, in Matthew is there are just people. All humans are created to find their fulfillment in God. And I think when we start to think of non-Christians, we, we can sometimes take that mindset that there are some people, like us, who are created for God, right? We are created with, with this desire for God. And then there are other people who are not. They're created with a desire for other things. And that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that all people are created with this same, this same hole that only God can fill. So, what's, what's the issue here, right? Well, I think the issue comes up in verse 2. The, the Magi come to Jerusalem, and they ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The Magi got the star, right? They had this desire to find God. And they got the revelation of, of creation. But they needed something else. They needed scripture. Right? So let's go back to the Belgic Confession, where it says, Second, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. Creation in our state is insufficient. It, it doesn't lead us to a saving knowledge of our creator. There are many, many things that creation can tell us about God, that philosophers can tell us about God, but they can't tell us who God is. They can't reveal God's name to us. Revelation 19, or Psalm 19, which I started reading earlier, it starts by talking about creation, but then it moves on. It talks about God's revelation in, in his word. It talks about his actions. It talks about what he has done and will do. And it closes with God's name, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. In order to come to know this God, we need scripture. We need God's special revelation. This is, this is our job as, as the church, to bring God's special revelation to the world. It's to say, look, you see nature, right? You see how incredible mountains are. God, that can tell you how powerful God is, but it can't tell you that God came into the world it can't tell you that God left his throne to come and redeem us. 
That is what we have been entrusted with, the scriptures, the message of salvation. We don't worship the God of the philosophers. We don't worship an impersonal deity. We don't worship a God who is um, just a simple deity, an omnipotent deity, an omnipresent deity, an omniscient deity. These are the things that the philosopher can tell us about God. We worship Yahweh. We worship a personal God. We worship Jesus, the God who became incarnate in our world for us and for our salvation. So what do the Magi do with this revelation? And how can we emulate that? The Magi enter the house and they see the child and they fall down and worship him. Brothers and sisters, we have received all of God's revelation. We have received creation that points us over and over and over to this God. And we have received scripture that tells us who God is, what his name is, and what he has done for us. There is one appropriate response, and the Magi nailed it. It's to fall down and worship God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have told us over and over and over how to find our fulfillment. And it's to come to you, to worship you. Help us today to see you, to recognize you, and to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.